Welcome to Whole Mother. This is KPFT Houston, 98.1 FM, Galveston 89.5, and Huntsville 89.7. I'm your host, Pat Jones. Whole Mother is a voice in our community which educates and informs us. There are many decisions to be made out there as a parent, mother, father, grandparent, birthing person, aunt, uncle, neighbor, friend. Whole Mother believes that we need to always make our choices out of rational thinking. Choices that are made through education and research, not out of fear, especially fear that is imposed by those who stand to profit by our choices. It is hoped that the education you receive on this show will contribute to changing the way we birth and the way we parent. All humans are born good. I've seen more than 3,000 babies come into the world, and I can tell you there are no bad babies. There are no bad humans. All babies are born exactly the same in their goodness, their innocence, their curiosity, their brilliance, their ability to love and to trust. They are all born the same in their delight with the world, their happiness. It doesn't matter what country they're born in, what their skin color is, what language they're learning to speak, or how much money is in their family. We are all born with the same goodness. We all come into the world with the same potential. If that's true, that all humans are born without hate, judgment, shame, jealousy, then where do we learn those qualities if we're not born with them? Oh, Mother is here to look at our parenting, which begins in the very first moments, probably at conception. Remember that KPFT is listener-sponsored, and you are the listeners. That means there's no corporate sponsorships. That means that we bring you information and education that's not funded or sponsored by anyone but you. And we need your help to stay on the air. Please go to kpft.org or call 713-526-5738. Donate, tip, pledge, especially if you can become a sustainer. Help us stay on the air. Encouraged to support women after the birth of her own daughters, Catrice Harris has been helping families with childbirth education, labor and birth, postpartum, and lactation support since 1992. Her initial lactation training was through the University of Texas Health Science Center and the City of Houston WIC programs. She continued to embrace caring for women and children by becoming certified as a birth and postpartum doula. After observing many challenges faced by women who did not feel enabled to advocate for themselves during childbirth, it seemed that the only step was to pursue midwifery. Taking the leap away from corporate America in 2012, she embraced birth work full time. Growing into a midwife has been a journey that constantly presents new opportunities for growth in many beautiful ways. Currently, with a solo home birth practice, 
Patrice also trains and mentors doulas through a grant-funded program seeking to provide birth support to underserved communities in Houston. Having provided over 365 families with the births of their babies as of 2023, she is truly grateful that this work found her. She founded Baby's Best Start and Ohana Birth and Education. We'll hear more about that later. I just have to say that I've known Catrice since she worked at a local hospital as a childbirth educator, and I have watched her journey. And I am so proud of her and the person she is, what she's doing for our community today. She continues all these years to do everything she can to support parents and families. So welcome to Whole Mother, Catrice. We are so happy to have you. Thank you, Pat. It's an honor as always to be here. <laughs> oh, thank you. So first of all, tell our audience, why have you chosen the path of midwifery? I believe birth is a gift and to share in the normal process of birth is a privilege. And after many years assisting families with breastfeeding support and childbirth education, I was introduced to, to birth doula work by a neighbor. And as I've supported uh-huh. women, yeah, it was definitely coincidental. And as I've supported women through their journey of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, I've come to understand that there's so much more to caring for women than just what we read in the books. Yes. You know, I, I feel like the most intuitive education is gained from watching the miracle of birth and all that comes with it actually live and in action. Yes. Um, you know, I, I regularly witness women not receiving accurate information or sound maternity care literally on a weekly basis. I, I hear it, of, it, it's not something you learn in a textbook. No, absolutely. Which, which is really the way you know, the medical model learns about birth is through a textbook. We're, we're missing out on a lot when we rely solely on that. Um, yes. And many women put their soul trust in their, their doctors. And while there are many great physicians and surgeons, many of these individuals have not seen even one birth without medical intervention or at least one, um, some sort of medication in that process. And I feel that that's really a sad phenomenon and that the holistic care of women should be the very core of obstetrics. Yes. So that's, that's kind I, of. I, I was sharing with someone um, not too long ago that in my practice, my years, um, there were three physicians that I talked into coming to a home birth. Um, mm. It took a lot to get them to come. I mean, they just did not want to come. They were scared, I guess, scared that if something went wrong, they'd be responsible. They'd have to do something, da 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 right. But three times I got them to come to a home birth, and they were so impressed. And and they said it changed everything for them, that they mm-hmm. really understood, you know, what birth was really, or what home birth was about, I think is what they described, so... That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does society see birth? Well, you know, I think society should see birth as wellness, but too often it's seen as illness. 
Um, you know, birth is a transitional period of growth in a woman's life. This time should be embraced and not suppressed or manipulated with drugs and unnecessary processes. And by all means, if there's a high risk pregnancy or illness involved, of course, let's intervene and save lives. But m most of the time when we have healthy moms and healthy babies, we, we don't need a lot of what happens. Um, right here in the United States, with all of its medical innovations, we are seen as a leader in so many ways, but women are dying at an alarming rate. And sadly, Pat, the numbers are not getting better year over year. Um, we blamed some things on COVID for a few years. Um, from 2019, for example, there was there was an increase. Just to share a little bit, looking at um, three groups, non-Hispanic Black women giving birth, non-Hispanic white women, and Hispanic women. And in 2019, the mortality rate for Black women was 37%. For white women, it was 17.9, uh, almost 18%. And for Hispanic women, it was a little over 12%. In 2020, we were shocked because those numbers jumped up to 55% mortality wow. rate for Black women, 19% wow. for white women, 18% for Hispanic women, but it's gotten worse. And most of the statistics we find are two years behind. So the, the data for 2021 shows that Black women have a mortality rate, a death rate of 70%, 69.9%. Uh, white women, 26.6, which is still bad. And really? Hispanic women, 28%. And this is just in the United States, our That's very well-developed country. This is outrageous. This it doesn't, is. It, it, this is so wrong. It makes no logical sense. None. No. Uh, and, and we've got to figure out how to change this. Mm -hmm. Everyone who's involved in, in any kind of birth should be working at and de de dedicated mm -hmm. to, to making these changes and figuring out what yeah. we need to do. It seems simple enough. <laughs> yes, really. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us, tell our audience now, does ethnicity and race matter when choosing a caregiver? Um, the short answer is yes. Women who receive care from um, someone they knew, a known midwife, for example, or an, a known doctor, but someone that they felt they could relate to uh, or express that they felt better care was given to them. They received information that um, related to them culturally. And there was a study done and the conclusion of that study indicated that having access to someone known or familiar has a positive impact on the woman's birth experience as well as the postpartum experience. That um, makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you know someone and you trust them and you know that they're there for you. Yes. And and especially if they know you and understand your culture and understand what's unique yes. about you as an individual. And these were studies that were done with reputable sources. One of them came from uh, Penn State. And in mm -hmm. that one, it found, um, and this was an analysis of more than 100,000 patients that were surveyed. And they found that patient-provider race concordance, or rather when both were of the same race, that this led to higher odds of receiving 
the, the better patient experience scores. And one possible reason for racial biases might stem from the fact that patients and doctors of the same race communicate better. So it's, it's not that um, one is a better provider, but if you can communicate and relate on that level, then the experience is better for the patient. Yes. So right there, uh, my next thought is we need more Black midwives in the community to serve that population. And you're not alone. Uh, the Boston Medical Center also did some research, and their research showed that women, just women in general, first of all, born in the United States, have an increased risk of experiencing adverse perinatal outcomes. So adverse birth outcomes just by being born in the U.S. But among those giving birth in the U.S., Black patients experience a 22% higher prevalence of hypertensive disorders, a 28% higher prevalence of preterm birth, and an 83 in, excuse me, 83% increased prevalence of early preterm birth compared to white patients. Wow. So the, the numbers kind of tell the story for themselves yes. that we, we need to get to the bottom of the increase in the bad numbers, basically. Yes, absolutely. And, and one so, more thing, I'd like I to share that the National Partnership for Women and Families made quite a bold statement. They said science is finally catching up to the truth that communities of color have known for generations. And that is that experiencing racism throughout one's life course damages one's long-term health. So when you have generations of families who have been programmed a certain way, just showing up for them and not being able to relate for them, even with the best of intentions, will not solve the problem. They need to feel that they can trust and and uh, understand their caregiver as well. Yes. What about um, maternal risk factors? Well, actually, racism, believe it or not, is considered a maternal risk factor. Um, personally, for me, I don't see women in color when I seek to care for women. I feel that anyone having a baby deserves to um, choose and have the autonomy of having having their birth experience their way. I've, I've had friends who chose C-sections, and that's okay. That's birthing their way. So anyone having a baby deserves to... To, to have a, a good experience, better than typically what we find here. However, our current medical model of birth fails women, regardless of race, race or nationality, and the numbers show that Black women and babies are dying at higher rates than any other national group or race, and this is because of systemic racism, and the numbers decline year over year. So I feel that we have to accept that we live in a society where race, socioeconomic status, and other defining lines govern the care that women receive, as well as their own perception of what that care should look like. So as a Black woman, I have the opportunity to talk to women of my same race and similar nationalities, just women of color, families of color, people of color um, can relate on a level that they might not be able to relate to someone, someone else who's not considered a person of color. And the statistics also support the fact that there are disparities in the care that they receive. So again, I chose midwifery because the numbers can be improved with good care, and this begins long before birth. Yes. 
Yeah. And my hope is that the families who are affected can improve the outcomes for themselves by actually being encouraged to participate in their own care and not just show up as a passive recipient. Um, I, I think every time we do this show, I have an example to share, an example that's happened within that week. Uh, just this morning, um, there's a, a, a doula that I work with and support in her practice. And she called She called a couple days ago to say that her client was facing induction and she was only 37 weeks. So, of course, I asked the usual, usual questions. Is there a medical indication for that? And there was no medical indication for it. That's the mm -hmm. short version. Mm -hmm. So this morning she called and she said she's been um, in labor now. They've been doing an induction for two days and she hasn't dilated beyond five centimeters. What else can we do? She has an epidural, so we can't get out of the bed. And Sadly, I'm waiting on a call later to hear what's probably not a positive outcome. And there's just no reason that this 37-week woman of color is in the hospital for an induction and she didn't feel strong enough to speak up for herself, ask questions, or just say no. That's a perfect example, Catrice, of what I think is the problem here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, um, they don't have good education. The woman doesn't, she hasn't been given an, the information. Maybe she got the information, but it was too close to the end for it to affect how her choices. Yes. And, and, and then the other part is that we don't listen. We, mm -hmm. we, we don't listen to uh, women of color. You're right. You're right. Most of the time, people just want to be heard. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is there anything more you want to say about that? I mean, this is just, it It fills my heart with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just... Well, I, I think about the fact that this young lady had a really good doula, but it goes back to years of programming and yes. um, generations before her, her mother, grandmother, yes. Yes. her you know mother's grandmother. These women didn't understand or have or um, have the opportunity to have doula support. Um they, she trusted her doctor. She felt that yeah. the doctor said, I have to do this, so I have to do this. Yeah. So often we don't know that we are allowed to advocate right. for ourselves. And right. that's that's part of what has to change. Right. There are choices. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, I, I just think that's where education is so important. Mm -hmm. You know, childbirth classes, information, shows like this. It's mm -hmm. so important that we get this information out for people to know that they have choices. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have just, a voice. And if I may share one other story, this one's really kind of close to my heart. Um, this family's baby is about five or six months old now, but um, her sister was in tears at her home birth and her sister advocated for her because no one advocated for the sister. She had three C-sections, um, in a row, no one to help her with the first one. So after number one, she just became a statistic. And the second one was because of the first one. And the third one was because of the second one. But when her sister got pregnant, she wanted her sister to have a better experience. And her her labor was a little bit long. It was one of those where you're watching the clock. And as the caregiver, you think, oh, my goodness, this is never going to end. But when the baby came, everyone in the room cried. Everyone was <laughs> happy. And it was the most beautiful experience. Experience. Yes. And to see her sister validated 
through the birth of her younger sister yes. was just amazing. So I, I don't plan to stop doing this work until <laughs> I can, you know, see my way to get to the car and drive to the next house. But this is, it's so important. That it's is so, so beautiful. That, yeah. That's uh, that makes it all worth it, doesn't it? Does. it? Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, tell the audience uh, a little bit about our home birth and doula services safe and how do they affect pregnancy outcomes? Uh, again, short answer, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was a study done uh, with 381 women in this particular group, and they were grouped into satisfied versus dissatisfied. Women having given birth by natural or normal delivery, as well as those who had skin-to-skin -skin time with their babies right after, reported more satisfaction. And the mothers who were separated from their babies reported being less satisfied, as did those who didn't have the expectations met in their birth plans. And the difference was a 94.54% satisfaction rate in those who, who had the deliveries they wanted, and they had these because they had birth support. Yes. So uh, doula support is key. Um, yeah. Just having someone there who can tell you, yes, this is normal. No, it's not necessary to, to intervene at this time. You're okay. Um, that can make all the difference. So yes. home birth, right in there with the satisfaction. When women get the birth they want, that's where we see that the satisfaction scores go up. And yes, home birth and doula support are very safe, um, especially with doulas. It's non-medical support. So the doula is there, whether it's a midwifery supported birth or an obstetrician supported birth. So these are these are all good yes. things. I, I just want to say, duh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. But then the other thing I want to say is um, that in a birth, it's very hard for the family to remember what their goals were and mm -hmm. what they wanted. <laughs> and I see that the the doula service helps everyone to remember this is how this is what I wanted, and this is what I need to do to get what I wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, they lose their voice completely. So true. Yeah. It's uh, I think doulas play a vital role and, yes. um, you know, transitioning from doula work to midwifery, they're just two separate, complete separate um, roles, but both very, very necessary. If if I can have a doula at every birth, I'm ecstatic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's not, I wish that, I wish there was a law that you had to have one. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it would make such a difference. Right. It really does. Well, are are all women eligible for doula and midwifery services and are they covered by insurance? So coverage is really a sticky situation, slippery slope. Eligibility, yes. All women are eligible, uh, whether you're having a planned C-section and induced birth and natural birth. Um, every woman should or has the opportunity to have a doula and midwifery services, midwives support in hospital births. And, and there are those who only work outside of a hospital, often depending on the certification or licensure that that midwife has. And as far as insurance goes, it's really interesting. Um, doula care is generally not covered by insurance, but there are some, some laws going into effect um, here 
that are in the process right now that are, are paying for doulas. The National Health Law Program's Doula Medicaid Project is seeking to improve health outcomes for Medicaid enrollees by ensuring that they have access to doulas if they want one. Um, so Medicaid is kind of taking the lead with that. And we see that often there's reimbursement if doulas offer other services, such as lactation support or childbirth education. So there are some ways to get mm -hmm. services covered. Um, it's just really case by case and state by state. Regarding midwives, now at least 50 states reimburse CNMs, that would be certified nurse midwives in their Medicaid programs. And there are currently right now only about 18 states that will reimburse midwives who do not have a nursing degree or who are not considered certified nurse midwives. So the, mm -hmm. the pathway I chose to be a CPM or a certified professional midwife, um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more difficult to get insurance and Medicaid to cover these services. So why do we need midwives and why should they be eligible for insurance and Medicaid reimbursement? The funny thing is, the you can just do a quick Google search and there's so many um, reports out there, so many studies that have been done. There's so much information that shows that increasing access to midwifery care can absolutely help address the shortage of obstetric care across the United States. And then the domino effect would be that it improves health outcomes. And there are nearly 50% uh, of U.S. counties right now that don't have a single practicing OBGYN. Wow. So if we could implement midwives as well, if we had more collaborative care, that would help to bridge the gap and provide services to many of these areas that don't have doctors who practice obstetrics. Um, and establishing licensure for midwives who don't hold a nursing degree, again, such as CPMs, that would also help to expand the maternal health workforce and increase the ability for midwives to be included as participating providers. Medicaid's a big one. Um, you know, I, I believe it's like 50% of the births in the United States are Medicaid births. So if we could just get Medicaid to welcome midwives and non nursing degree midwives, and this could increase access to health services for all pregnant persons. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is interesting, though, that in recent years, there are states, I think more recently, it's been Idaho and Indiana, and they've established licensure for midwives without a nursing degree and provide Medicaid reimbursement. Wow. So we're, we're taking some baby steps, we're getting there, but it's, it's definitely not statewide and Sadly, right here in Texas, we're not on the list. That's very sad. Yeah. Um, and one other thought is that, you know, not just talking about Medicaid, but private insurance uh, might opt to reimburse out of hospital midwives, but it varies so much and there are huge discrepancies with regard to pay equity. So just giving a token or um, a drop in the bucket to say, yes, we reimburse is not enough. There needs to be equitable pay so that midwives can continue to provide the care that families need. Yes, indeed. Yes. Equitable pay. That's the key words right there. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's not, it, I don't see how it can happen. No, it's, um, it, it doesn't happen. And we turn people away all the time. It's, 
it's it's hurtful to turn families away. And especially yes. if you just take the time to hear five minutes of their stories, your heart goes out to them. And then you find yourself discounting fees and hoping right. that you'll be able to still have the resources to support them. Right. Drive your car there. Exactly. So yeah. um, the desire is there. We just need a lot more recognition and we, we need some equity on the table. Yes, indeed. Well, are there uh, national organizations that you personally are familiar with that do support midwifery? Yes. So uh, when I was studying to become a midwife, one of my clinical preceptors introduced me to NACPM, the National Association of Professional Midwives, and she encouraged me to join. So I joined at the time because it seemed like something I was supposed to do, (laughs) aspiring to be a midwife, let's join this organization. But I, I didn't quite understand the role of NACPM. And over recent years, they've gone through some transitions and uh, been without an executive director for some time. But now having become part of the organization, I'm really honestly excited to say that it's a very driven organization, um, supported by diverse midwives with representation from all over the United States. On our board, we have midwives from uh, many of the many of the contiguous U.S. states and Hawaii and Puerto Rico. And NACPM is the professional organization for all CPMs. Even those who are not licensed, we, we still want them to feel represented. So NACPM works really hard to um, support midwives in in that way. Then I've also recently joined another dynamic group of midwives and birth professionals called Midwifery Wisdom Collective. Now, I was initially drawn to Midwifery Wisdom after seeing their social media posts and to see how they were taking a stand against preceptor abuse. I know this is kind of a controversial topic for some, Mm -hmm. but this is a subject that sadly and unfortunately I knew too well. And to see a midwife who had uh, notoriety and and who had the skill level and who didn't have to reach out to aspiring midwives because she was established, but to see her, that's Augustine Colebrook, the founder of the organization, really take an interest, then it, it just really caught my attention. So I I attended their conference this past November, and it was amazing. Mm -hmm. I was blown away by the wealth of knowledge and experience within the collective. The speakers were amazing. And I think it's just, it's a really, um, it's such a great group to to pay attention to, to be a part of. Mm -hmm. They provide information on litigation, business care, self-care, advanced practice skills, and so many other topics that are relevant to midwives. So in in this way, at least these two organizations can really help to fortify a midwife's practice and, and, and help her to do more for the community. Sounds so hopeful. Sounds like we're making some major changes. So um, tell us a, a little more about some of the projects that those organizations are working on. Uh, well, with NACPM, their commitment to diversity and inclusion, the ongoing mission is to ensure that midwives are seen as primary caregivers in the U.S. 
NACPM is establishing licensure and equitable pay for care, advocating for midwives on state and federal levels. And um, the organization has a resolve to continuously invest in a strong racially, ethnically, and socially representative CPM workforce. So again, really trying to be there for the certified professional midwives who often are, are not recognized. It's um, our education is questioned. Our experience level is questioned. Um, another controversial topic, I've, I've had nurse midwives say that they feel that CPMs should be paid less than CNMs because of experience level. And that's that's just a little bit unfair. I mm-hmm. I feel that when a person has the experience and they've put in the, the work and they've done the studying, that it should be equitable across the board. And CNMs and CPMs should be able to collaborate together just as we'd like to collaborate with obstetricians and provide mm-hmm. the care that families need. Mm-hmm. So um, NACPM, is working to make sure that happens. Um, one of the more recent projects is is a fervent effort to advocate for TRICARE coverage to include midwives, and, and that's coverage for military families for the most part. And there are many other initiatives that will really bring certified professional midwives to the forefront as an excellent option for low-risk pregnancy and birth. Um, and then uh, Midwifery Wisdom Collective, uh, doing similar but different work. They offer podcasts, online education, conferences, smaller skills workshops, and they really provide a virtual village for midwives to come together to, to feel seen and heard, regardless of so many boundaries, boundaries such as racism, sexism, ageism. Um, and these exist, sadly, within the realm of birth workers, but this is one um, collective that works really hard to tear down those boundaries and just see everyone as as working for the same cause. And recently, they've done something pretty amazing with an international partnership. They're creating a first of its kind midwifery run birth center with uh, and alongside OB unit in India. Wow. Uh, Bangalore, India, which will consist of an operating theater and a portable NICU. So they, they're really going to be very self-sustained mm-hmm. in, in this one um, one unit. And with this unique model, clients are seen by the experts in normal first, the midwives. Yay. And if necessary, they can be transferred in-house if they're high risk. And the beautiful thing is because it's in-house, they'll then be returned to midwifery care if they're able to return to a low-risk category. And this would mean even post-surgery. So if someone needs a C-section, they can still come back and have their postpartum care with the wow. midwifery model. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. It's it's uh, pretty exciting. Yes. And while that international project is underway, the collective is 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 busy like you know, bees humming in a beehive to plan and organize multiple events right here in the United States ongoing throughout the year. So wow. they're uh, both. I'm just really humbled and privileged and excited to have mm-hmm. a share in both the organiz- the NACPM organization and the Midwifery Wisdom Collective. Cool. Very cool. I'm I'm very impressed. So um, how can the general public our audience and healthcare professionals implement changes 
to address these social, economic, and cultural barriers? Like, what kind of advice do you have out there? Well, right now, there's a big gap in care and a big gap in access to care. And we have to begin by closing that gap. We need to increase the level of cultural sensitivity among healthcare providers. And we just have to really recognize and own the fact that unfavorable socioeconomic and cultural barriers are pre-existing conditions. Um, these are pre-existing conditions that we're often born with. And so to improve the community surrounding African-Americans and other patients of color, we also need to increase the number of healthcare workers of color. And of, you know, of course, we're advocating for midwives, but yes. you know, midwives, doulas, any yes. caregiver that would encourage a woman, um, encourage anyone having a baby to seek prenatal care, to really own, take ownership of her health. And hugely important, we, we need to encourage this on um, not just a local level, but it, it needs to be recognized as something we need across the United States. The sad reality, Pat, is that we live in a world where racism still thrives and it affects birth outcomes and so much more. Yeah. If we can reach more individuals, if uh, you know more felt understood and as if their caregivers could intimately relate to their personal struggles and uniqueness, then I think this would go a long way to solving that problem. Yes. You know? um, we need to recognize that ultimately organizations and individuals that are so to speak, fighting for the cause, often need financial support to do the work and to pay those resources forward. So by offering tangible financial help, as well as intangible moral and emotional support to these families that are seeking this autonomous care, then I, I truly believe we can eventually see change. Yes. Do you um, have any thoughts about other ways that we could make this change. As I hear you speak, I think about Birth Fair, Birth, a nonprofit organization that did two scholarships so far, and we're about to announce another scholarship. That's amazing. And those are for women of color who will go back into the community, our community, and, and provide care. Um, I think uh, the Greater Houston Midwife Association and also, I think Association of Texas Midwives, both of them have done scholarships in the last few years. Um, I don't know that they're specifically for women of color, though. I I think they're general scholarships for for. But I mean, that's one way because we we need more doulas of color. We need more midwives of color. Um, do you have any other thoughts about how we can do that? <laughs> you know, I always fall back on education, education, education. And I, I think about my own experience. You know, my daughters are young adults now. And I remember like yesterday when I was pregnant with the first one, particularly, I, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, um, Unsmart. Let's let's use that word because it sounds nicer than the alternative. Uh, you know, I I had a, a job with a lot of responsibilities, and I was raised by parents who felt education was important. I, I came from smart people. I want to say, if you know, if I if I may say that. But when it came to having my baby, 
I didn't know what to expect. It was I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that childbirth education was a thing. Um, there were quote unquote Lamaze classes offered, but women who looked like me didn't go to Lamaze classes. That's right. not what we saw on television. Right. So I, I think it's incumbent upon caregivers to encourage education when it yes. came to breastfeeding. Yes. I didn't know. I mean, my, my mother was the best support. And then second, I wish I could remember this woman's name, but the nurse who helped me right after I had my daughter, I believe if she hadn't been there, I don't know that I would have gotten off to a good start in the hospital. So just providing information, education, helping families to know what their options are, that they have options. That, that's so important. And that starts, it starts with the people providing care to them. Yes. And you know, I had a doctor say recently that they just don't, they want to, but they're not, they don't have the time. They're limited with the amount of time they can spend in prenatal visits. So my answer to that is reach out, collaborate, yes. welcome childbirth educators into your practices, yes. welcome lactation consultants into your practices, yes. um, collaborate with doulas. Yes. Yes. Doulas, doulas as well. Yes. Uh, I had a, a really unique and good experience just last week. I was invited to, um, speak on a panel with Texas Southern University, uh, also fighting for the cause of maternal mortality and, and infant morbidity and mortality. And there was a doctor there on the panel as well. We'd never met in person before, but we had a, a common client. I call her a client. Of course, the doctor calls her a patient. But it was really funny. When my client was pregnant, she wanted to see both of us. And the doctor called my cell phone one day and said, I don't think she needs to see both of us. Do you? And I said, no, I, I don't think so. If she wants to, it's okay. And uh, the, the beautiful thing is that we were both on, on the same line of thought. She's holistic minded and, and doesn't believe in unnecessary interventions. So when we met at this panel discussion, it was a great feeling to know that there's someone who can provide a higher level of care if something becomes high risk and still return that person to midwifery care if, you know, she, um, you know, if her health improves, basically. So yes. we really need more of that. Yes. I think that's a good start. And, you know, there are a lot of women who get misinformation about being boxed into uh, what we call a, a geriatric pregnancy. If they're over 35, they're automatically labeled. If they're under the age of 20, they're automatically labeled. And I think we should also remove the labels, help women to improve, or, or what we need to do is improve access to food so that we're removing mm -hmm. food deserts and yes. improving health. And then we yes. don't have to box them into these unhealthy and unfair labels as well. Yes. Such good advice. Yes. Just how do we, how do we do this? <laughs> I love your thinking, but how do we do it? That's uh, the it's, it's so, it's such a huge project. It feels so huge. And, you know, it does Pat, but then we look at other countries that make it happen. Right. Um, I mean, right. even, you know, I go back to COVID where the numbers uh, sadly increased in a bad way during COVID, during you know 2020. But countries like Japan and the Netherlands had better numbers and they were providing a, a more holistic model of care. So if 
we in the United States, but maybe just look at what other countries are doing. Yes. And these are developed countries. These are developed yes. nations as well. Yes. But when our numbers are below the numbers of some underdeveloped countries, it's it's a big red flag. It sends a big message that we need to do something differently. I, I hate that I have such pessimistic, uh, I guess, thinking because I think it's all about money. It's all about, you know, how how we'll make the most money. Never mind about the outcomes. It's how do we make more money? And right. and and until we enough people decide that that's not where our priorities should be and and really work to make those changes, I, I'm not I'm not sure. There's there's uh, definitely a lot of politics surrounding it and um I mean, I'm careful with my comments because I don't want to sound anti-doctor. I think right. doctors play a huge role. And yes. if I get sick, I, I hope there's a doctor who can provide that level of <laughs> yes. care. Um, but for the ones that don't support midwifery and that don't support doula care, uh, we find... I've, I had someone just yesterday ask me, well, why, why doesn't insurance cover the care that you provide? And the truth is there are a lot of doctors who sit on the board of the insurance companies right. and they feel threatened right. by midwifery care. Right. And it just really doesn't need to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Right. Exactly. So I think uh, that's one place to start. <laughs> yes. Uh, anything you'd like to share about your own practice uh, and what you do, what makes it unique? Uh, what you like about it? <laughs> uh, well, so my my practice is a solo home birth practice. Um, I have a small office where I hold prenatal visits and consultations, and I can fit one couple in to do classes. It's it's a, a small space, just enough to see people on an intimate level. And uh, so Baby's Best Start was established a long time ago when I started teaching childbirth classes and doing breastfeeding support when my girls were little. And it's really just grown and expanded. And I really think it's important for babies to get off to their best start in life. Yes. And I think that comes from families uh, being educated to to offer them that best start in life, giving them choices. So right now I um, kind of, my love of course is birth work, but teaching classes is still dear to my heart as well. So I, I teach childbirth education classes, provide postpartum support to families as well, because we can't just leave moms after they have the babies. Right which is another model that we can get from other countries. Many times the um, midwife is tasked with providing postpartum care for long-term after that woman goes home from having the baby. So um, while I don't live in like they do in other countries, I, I still provide postpartum care, lactation support, childbirth education, um, under baby's best start, I'll uh, work with and mentor and support doulas we uh, had a group of four doulas who are just phenomenal people and they know how phenomenal they are. And for the past three years, they've been providing services 
under the University of Houston Healthy Start program. Wonderful. It was a grant funded program. And sadly, it's about to come to an end next month. But I think these women have just done such a good job over the past three years that we're really looking for grant funds to kind of keep that work going. The, um, the soul, so. I do too. It's so important. The sole purpose was to provide doula care in underserved areas of Houston. Um, Healthy Start particularly cared for women or families, I should say, within uh, 10 zip codes around the University of Houston. So within that footprint and landscape, but we'd really like to find grant funds to expand it because uh, women, families all over our city really do need the care and support. So that's one of my current projects, just trying to make that happen. And um, recently established a nonprofit as another avenue to hopefully bring in some grant funds and do some things. And the name of that nonprofit? It's Ohana Birth and Education. So I borrowed will. from I borrowed <laughs> from Lilo and Stitch, the movie. <laughs> uh, Ohana, no family left behind. <laughs> Tell the audience a little more about it. So with, with that's very brand new. But the the love to do that came because I, I do find myself having to turn away families who want midwifery care. And it's simply a matter of finding the funds to support that, funds that will help to buy supplies for those families, to help them, um, supplies for birth, supplies for baby after baby's born. Moms need things, you know, moms need nursing bras and, and maternity wear, clothes to wear and things like that. So, uh Ohana Birth and Education, the goal of that, the dream is that we'll be able to find donors who want to support that as well. And then all of that, all of that funding goes directly back out to families. I, I just kind of want to be a middleman to get them what they need. And under that, the hope is to also still be able to provide doula support alongside midwifery support and offer people options. Wonderful. So if there's a donor out there that'd like to help a little or a lot, how would they reach you? Uh, they can either reach me at ohanabirth.org um, or babiesbeststart.org. And that's babies, B-A-Y-S, not I-E-S. B-A-B-Y-S. Yeah. Correct. Uh -huh. And ohana is? O-H-N-A. Uh -huh. tell, tell the audience again. Oh, I'm sorry. Ohana birth, O-H-A-N-A-B-I-R-T-H dot org. Very good. Very good. Uh, well, we have a, a little uh, time left here. Uh, some birth stories or some something that's happened in your practice and your experience that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, there is one story, and I guess I can't say names because I didn't ask permission, but I know they wouldn't mind if I shared the story. But when I when I think about the fact that we all agree um, that having more birth workers of color will help to bridge the gap and help families to feel more supported and, and get that prenatal care early and, and all of the good stuff. But I had a humbling experience that drove the point home a little bit more than just having a, a provider who's of the same skin color. There's a one family that I was working with and the husband and wife would often come to the prenatal visits and just looking at them, they um, just looked like a black couple and the husband had an accent. So I knew he was from another 
country, but I didn't ask where he was from. So he would often come with his wife, but never, never really talk. He was very polite, very nice, but he wouldn't really say more than hello, goodbye. I'm happy with this, whatever my wife wants. And she did all the talking and she and I grew very close and very personal. And on the, the evening that she went into labor, Coincidentally, there was another student midwife who happened to be in town. She's had to go outside of Houston to find a preceptor to complete her education, but she was here visiting her family and she called me earlier in the week and said, if you if you have any births, I'd really like to attend one. She said, I've never attended a birth with a black midwife and I just wanted to see what that experience is like. So she herself was a woman of color. So Strictly coincidentally, this mom goes into labor during the week that this student midwife is here. And of course, I called her and invited her to the birth. So while we're there and um, before she arrived, while the woman was laboring, her husband was in another room. He just didn't feel comfortable. You could tell he was a little bit nervous and just needed to find his comfort zone in the house. So the student midwife arrives and um, everyone, we're all in the same room, the four of us, and she hears the gentleman's accent and she asks where he was from. And then they start speaking the same language and they were both from neighboring areas in South Africa. And he just lit up when he realized that this is someone who speaks my language, not just someone who has the same skin color. And it was, it was humbling and a wake up call for me that it's not about the skin color. It's about culture. It's about relatability. And in that moment, he was also able to support his wife better because he was relieved. You could just yes. see see this peace and calm wash over his face yes. and I have beautiful pictures of him just smiling and, and just really lighting up as his baby girl was born. And I'm so grateful that the student midwife was in town yes. for that one week and able to be there. Yes. Um, I truly, truly believe that that whole family's experience was made better because of her presence. So it really just drives home the point that it's not about racism necessarily when we say we need more midwives of color. It's about culture. It's about having someone in the room that speaks your actual language and also speaks that unspoken language yes. and can really understand your needs. Yes. So indeed. that was that was a very special one that happened recently. That's a beautiful story. Yes. Very heartwarming. I guess I'll have to invite her to listen to the show and see if she's yes. okay. With it. <laughs> Any other uh, short stories you might want to share? Short a couple stories. More minutes, a couple more minutes. Uh, you know, Pat, the, the stories just never cease. Um, <laughs> I think uh, not so much a story, but just some gratitude. I was telling someone the other day that when I sought uh, information on becoming a doula back in 2008. I reached out to you and one other one doula in the Houston area. Well, I reached out to a lot of people and you just welcomed me. You you brought me in. I remember the first birth that we attended together. Um, and that mom gave us each a list. She gave us basically a, a script almost of what she wanted us to say and do and not say and not do. And I thought, man, if this is how this works, I don't know if I can do this. But <laughs> through it all, you were calm and receptive to it. And you just made it all. So all my questions were answered just by watching you. And you were the the first midwife to to just let me 
tag along. And I've, I've learned so much just from observing um, you at births and observing how you observe births and don't interfere and just let them happen and unfold. So I'm very grateful for that. And um, for, for all of all of the birth workers who come together and, and make this such a beautiful experience yeah. for families. So you're Thank not you, here Patrice. in Houston doing this, but yes, your <laughs> legacy lives on. Thank you so much. And we are so grateful for you and Thank for you. all the years that you have hung in there and continued to work for what you wanted and what you knew was right. And look where you are today. It's, it's beautiful work. That's for yes. sure. For sure. Yes, we're so grateful to you. So thank you again for being on Whole Mother. And thank you for what you do. Tell the audience one more time how they could reach you. Uh, so through my website, either babiesbeststart.org or ohanabirth.org, excuse me, O-R-G. Um, I think those are probably the easiest ways. I'm, I'm on Instagram and Facebook with the help of my daughters, of course, because I'm not that savvy in either, but I'm, I'm out there for those who prefer the social media route and uh, always, always excited to meet other birth workers, learn from other birth workers. I think every time we get together and collaborate or attend a birth or have coffee, tea or lunch, we're learning from each other. So really welcome that. And if there are those that I can help in any way, if just sharing a story helps them to feel okay, or just um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Thank you again, Catrice, for all you do. If you want to contact us, and we're always pleased to hear from you, our email address is wholemothershow at gmail.com. If you want to contact me personally, please feel free to email me at birthcare at aol.com. You can listen to this show again and many others on wholemothershow.com. It is becoming more apparent to me that KPFT cannot continue on the air to fund Whole Mother to keep us here. We need your help. So if you could contribute anything, especially on a regular basis, so that we can bring you the education, the information, the truths about parenting and birthing, the best information I can find like this tonight's show, please go to kpft.org or call 713-526-5738. Thank you to our engineers, to EJ, to Edward, to Eric for all your support and help to keep this on the uh, air. Thank you out there for listening to Whole Mother. I'm Pat Jones, and this is KPFT Houston. Dreams really do come true